Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us today. I am joined today by one of my very best friends, Dana Schaff. Um, Dana and I have known each other too long to mention. <laughs> Um, and Dana is an entrepreneur. She's based in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and if you are looking for her, you can find her on Instagram at live free with D, just the letter D. Um, and we're doing sort of a special episode today, and it's going to be one in a series of episodes um, with Dana because um, Dana's been basically on the journey to finding out what's going on with her. So we're sort of catching her earlier than we catch a lot of our guests who have chronic invisible illness. Um, And using this as a platform to sort of explore what the journey is like and the pitfalls and frustrations, but also the wins. Um, So, and also because Dana is just so articulate and open about sharing about this stuff. So now I've set the bar that high. So Dana, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Oh, of course. So let's start from the very beginning basics. Tell us when and how you first realized you had something unusual going on health-wise and what diagnoses you're you're looking at right now. Okay. Um, So I think just like to give a background of me, Mm -hmm. I am super active. Um, I work out like every day. I'm like, I would call myself like a gym rat. Like I'm a workout addict. I um, was boxing for several years and, um, you know, like I'm just like a high energy person who is always on the go. Mm. I've always had like multiple jobs, um, multiple things going on, but yes, very physically active. So the first time that I remember, oh, and another important, I think note, I hate the doctor. Like I literally try to avoid the doctor. (laughs) <laughs> as as Dana's friend, I can attest that this is true. 
the number of conversations where I've been like, go to the doctor. Oh, do I have to? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and I like consider myself a pretty healthy person. Yeah. So, um, and you eat healthy as well. Yes. Oh, and so, yes, I feel like I eat pretty well. Yeah, I, I did Whole30 a few years ago that kind of, like, kicked me on to, like, eating, like, whole foods, organic, um, low, you know, um, gluten. I'm da- pretty much dairy-free. Well, I'm not. I love cheese, but okay. Yeah, it's not fun to be around when you eat it, but yeah. I know. It's so cheap. <laughs> I love you guys. TMI, we are oversharing. That's um, what the point of this podcast is. <laughs> so, so that's where I'm coming from. Um, so the first time I remember something kind of being wrong, and I'm not sure whether or not this had anything to do with it, but um, I, again, overshare, got a divorce. And the summer after I was getting divorced, obviously my stress levels were like insanely high. Um, and I only mention that because they say a lot of, uh, chronic and autoimmune diseases can start with a high level of stress. Yeah. So I got this summer flu is what I was calling it. I was just like super tired for three weeks. I was achy. Um, my dad was visiting and he was like, do you have Lyme disease? My dad has Lyme and he thinks anytime anybody gets sick, they have Lyme. So I was like, dad, I don't have Lyme disease. <laughs> Why would I have Lyme? So there, I don't blame him for asking that question because you did grow up in Pennsylvania. So yeah. it's very possible that you could have been exposed to it at some point. And like, watch me have Lyme. Like, you know, well, but, well let's not, no. we're not going there yet. But. <laughs> you should probably rule that out though. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, um, yeah, so I had like three weeks where I just like, wasn't feeling great. And then like, whatever, I bounced back. Um, and then a year and a half later, um, oh, and you know what, after that, so after that three weeks, I started getting like weird pain in my shoulders and my wrists and like, but I thought it was all boxing related and it may have been. Well, and you went to physical therapy and acupuncture for that, didn't you? Yep. And it didn't help really. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was all boxing related. Um, and then, a year and a half after that, it was, um, uh, Thanksgiving and I went home, uh, which is in Pennsylvania. So on a plane came back, got the flu. I mean, when you travel sometimes that time of year, like you're around people, you get the flu. Um, and I was sick, so sick. I was sick for all the way up until I was going home for Christmas. So almost a month. And I finally, would didn't want to go to the doctor. And <laughs> I finally went to urgent care. Um, you know, my boyfriend was like, get your butt to urgent care. So I go to urgent care and they're like, okay, well, we'll give you a steroid shot in your butt just to like increase your, it always makes you feel fabulous when someone offers you a shot in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys. Yeah. Well, pull my pants down, shoot me in the butt with the stairs. You're lucky they let you pull your pants down. That once happened to me in Italy and they did not even let me pull my pants down. <laughs> they just shot through your clothes? Well, through my tights. Oh my they God. just did it. I was like, wow, I was in Sicily and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And yeah, anyway, but love you, Italy. That was just a weird experience. <laughs> Mamma mia. Mamma mia, indeed. <laughs> so then I felt a little better. I went home. But I never really like kicked the flu. And when I say I had the flu, like I definitely had flu-like symptoms. Like I had a runny nose, I had a fever, chills. Um, but I was also extremely tired, like you are with the flu and achy and all the things. Um, and so then, you know, it didn't really go away. Definitely got better over the holidays. Came back and like continued to be sick. Like just was literally sick 
all of January, all of February. And I would like get better and then get really like crash and get worse. And that, and there was also a really bad flu going around. This was last winter. Remember how everybody was getting the flu and it was like super bad. So I just thought I had the flu. Um, but my boyfriend was like, dude, this is not normal. Well, he didn't call me dude because he doesn't. (laughs) Well, but the rest of us have also sort of just gotten used to you being sick flu at some point in the year and then being sick for six months, which not normal, not normal. Uh, and yeah. So he was like, maybe you should go to a doctor. And I was like, and then that's actually when I called you and you sent me to your, uh, a primary care doctor that you had liked at UCLA. So this is when I was still living in Los Angeles. So I went to, um, I went to UCLA and she ran a bunch of blood work. She tested me for mono. Um, she did test for Lyme and, uh, a couple other things and everything came back normal except my iron was really low. So she was like, well, look, you're really severely anemic. Um, I was like very anemic. And she was like, this is why you're so tired. Um, I couldn't stay awake for like more than a few hours at a time. Of course, I was still pushing myself. I was still going to the gym. And then I would like come home <laughs> and then like nap for like, I'd be like, I'm just going to take a little nap. And then I think I was going to nap for 20 minutes and wake up three hours later. Welcome to um, my life. We've, this has also been a, a common theme of our friendship has been like yeah. wet pants well, or yoga pants and napping is like two of our favorite things. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. No. And also I think like I love to nap in my real life. Even when I'm not feeling sick, I love to take a 20, 30 minute nap. I like call that my superpower. I love napping. I can sleep anywhere. I love that you also just referred to your life as your real life. Like it's all your real life. Just FYI. None of it's separate. Real life. You're right. <laughs> in my healthy life when I'm not feeling sick, I still yeah. like to nap. I call it my superpower. And so, you know, it wasn't like triggering for me as something that was um, not normal. So she was like, hey, look, your iron's very low. Good news is really easy to treat. We're just going to give you some iron supplements. So she did. And boom, I started feeling better. Great. So I start taking iron supplements. I start feeling better. And about two months later, I noticed that I get like a lump in my left armpit. Um, and it doesn't go away. And so I'm like, I don't want to go to another doctor. <laughs> so I just wait until I see her for my follow-up blood work. And we do my follow-up blood work. My iron levels are normal. I tell her about the lump and she's like, that's worrisome. We should send you to get a mammogram like ASAP. Mm. Um, and then I did. And so, um, then in that time I moved to Phoenix Um, so now like new city, new doctors, new everything. So I find a new OBGYN, they send me for a mammogram and you know, I'm like, it'll be fine. So I go and I get a mammogram and they like do the whole thing and do the, all the ultrasounds and you get terror. If you ever go get a mammogram, like bring a friend. I didn't bring a friend. That was so silly. I should have, I know that you talk all the time about having like an advocate and somebody with you. I should have brought my boyfriend or a friend or somebody and I didn't. And it was scary. Yeah. Um, But one of the other things that we definitely did do was talk about it beforehand. And because I'm someone who's had a biopsy, I was like, here's all of the things that you can expect, um, you know, for a biopsy or a mammogram. Um, So it's great in those situations to reach out to friends, you know, who have been through similar or the same thing and be like, what should I expect? Just so you know. Yeah. And that did help a lot. Um, but then like, you know, the technicians, they're not doctors. So they're like, 
just sit in this chair by yourself and let me run these by the doctor. And like, they, it's awful. The waiting is awful. Oh my God. It's like so scary. So they're like, okay, no breast cancer. Thank God. But they were like, this looks reactive. So Hmm. please go see a primary care doctor. So I go in and I see a new doctor who I've never seen before. And, you know, props to this doctor. He like started asking me a bunch of different questions, asked me my whole medical history. And so that's when I, uh, you know, wrote down a few things, which is that I have polycystic ovaries Mm -hmm. and that I had been, you know, I'm going to say casually diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, which is probably part of my aversion to doctors is because like I had a lot of like stomach Uh, discomfort in my early 20s. And I felt like when I would go to see doctors, um, I just felt like they were either not taking me seriously or like talking down to me or just being like, just don't eat dairy. Um, And it's never that simple with something like IBS. And we actually have an episode that's going to be all about IBS, but it's one of those, those diagnoses that seems to be a bit of a catch-all for anyone with digestive issues. And sometimes it's never that, well, Sometimes it's never, it's always never that simple. Um, So it's very interesting that that's caused some of your aversion to going to the doctor and it makes total sense. So there you go. Um, So he starts asking me things and he was like, you know, are you achy? And I was like, I am kind of achy. Like my wrists were a little achy in my ankles. But at this point I I have been doing Orange Theory Fitness and I just was like, maybe I'm just sore, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to throw this in there. I I'm probably going to stir the pot. I had gotten my flu shot two days before this appointment. Um, so let me just stir that pot really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Where, and it's interesting to note that Dana's not an anti-vaxxer, um, but... Um, not at all. Not at all. But it's interesting because I'm someone who has put off getting the flu shot a lot because I always get a little sick when I get it. Because, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes is when you get an immunization of any kind, you have to remember that you're, you're giving yourself a small amount of whatever that particular disease is in order to build the antibodies so that you could fight it. It it gives you a superpower, but at the same time, sometimes you can get a little symptomatic for a couple of days. So you are having those symptoms, but it doesn't change the fact that you had had those symptoms anyway. Right. They had been like coming and going. So anyway, um, so he was like, okay, well, um, we're going to run a bunch of blood work. And they did. And they ran a bunch of blood work. Um, <clears throat> although he was thorough, not the best bedside manner. That's okay though, because I had a great support system. I had you, mm-hmm. I had my sister who's a nurse, um, and had Sasha Alexander yes. on this show. Sasha is my writing partner. And so we were talking a ton anyway. And, um, you know, that like group was kind of helping me navigate. So Mm. they ran all that blood work and they came back to me and said, you know, um, we see a few markers in your blood for, um, some, uh, autoimmune diseases. Uh, we want to send you for x-rays to rule out or confirm rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and then we want to do some more blood work. And do you have any history of autoimmune disease in your family? And, you know, I do. And nobody really talked about it. Boom, 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 boom. I was like, what? Like, my grandmother has rheumatoid arthritis. I, no one has ever mentioned that in the history of my family. And, you know, my dad's family, actually, one of his sisters made, like, a comprehensive medical history. And it's in a Word document. That is so great. It's so amazing. And I just want to say, like, 
if you, you know, when you're pulling all this stuff for yourself, if you're a person who's starting to gather your family medical history, put it in a Word document because wow, and that was such a great advice from you, Lauren, was mm. write everything down on a Word document and print it out when you go to the doctor so you don't have to relive it every time writing it out. And like, so I had this comprehensive medical history from my dad's side. And then when I went digging to my mom's side, I found that I have a maternal, very direct maternal like lineage. Like my aunt has um, scleroderma and Sjogren's, such a weird one, spelled weird. And then my grandma has rheumatoid. Mm. So I was like, oh, I do have a family, like a history of this. Okay. So then they ran more blood work and came back. And as my blood work was coming in, I was going over it with my sister. So when my doctor called, because this was literally how the call went, he called and he was like, hello, Dana. Um, we think you have lupus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wow. Whoa. Yeah. So I was, but let me back it up and say I was prepared for that call because I had been looking at all of the blood work with my sister as they were coming in and popping up on my um, electronic medical chart. We were going through them. And so um, she was like, Dee, like you have a lot of the markers for lupus. Um, I think that might be what they're going to tell you. And so that's what they said. And then they sent me to, um, a rheumatologist. So do you want to talk about like the blood work? Like, cause I yeah. think this I'd, is- I'd love to know. Cause one of my questions is actually what tests have you taken so far to determine the first diagnosis and what further tests have you got scheduled mm-hmm. to explore alternate diagnoses with your physician. So this is all part of the discussion and I'd love to know what tests you've taken and what tests you are taking. <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah. Say, uh, you know, again, right, and right now, just to sum up what we're looking at right now, we're looking at something that's possibly RA rheumatoid right. arthritis, possibly lupus tends to be sort of what we're looking at. Right. Uh, and so uh, again, I'm, I'm like, two months into this process at this point process. So this is all very new for me. It was a steep learning curve. Thank God I had my sister. Um, you know, the internet is a scary, but can be helpful place. Um, I was just, you know, making sure to get my information from what I felt like were credible sources like Johns Hopkins and the lupus foundation and like reading up on this stuff there. What they first ran on me was um, they ran a bunch of blood work and what came back positive that gave them like a a moment to pause was my ANA, anti-nuclear antibodies. And from what I understand, that's when your body makes anti-nuclear, so opposite antibodies. (laughs) And what those do is those attack your body. Um, They are recognizing your body tissue as... Uh, the threat. So there's, um, again, from what I understand, there's a bunch of different anti-nuclear antibodies and depending on which ones you have can help narrow down or confirm or support a diagnosis. Yes. And this is across all um, autoimmune diagnoses, as far as I I know that, you know, there's the whole concept behind an autoimmune disease is that your that your antibodies are recognizing normal tissue as diseased tissue and attacking it. And that's what causes the problem. So as you're saying with lupus, it's going to be something specific to lupus with something like what I have Hashimoto's, it's going to be specific to my thyroid, et cetera. Correct. 
Yes. And um, they did run a thyroid panel on me, although it was just a basic one and all of that came back normal. And I know mm-hmm. all the things you've said about the thyroid stuff because I listen to this show. And, I- <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're moving down that path. But, um, and the other thing that pinged was my rheumatoid factor. So my rheumatoid factor was high. ANAs came back positive in the first test. So they sent me for x-rays to see if I had any. So um, rheumatoid arthritis can leave these kind of um, interesting like patterns in your, in your joints that look like um, they look like, like old fossils. Like, you know, like if you've seen like a rock that's been like worn away at the beach and it has all those little like pits and craters in it. So they sent you for x-rays for that. And then they ran more blood work. So my x-rays came back looking good. And then um, my blood work came back and there are a few uh, antibodies that can be like, like, um, I guess markers for lupus. So the, one of the biggest ones is your DSDNA and that came back uh, positive for me. So that one came back and it, um, I wrote, I wrote down some statistics as I was doing this research. So go for uh, it. Yeah. 30% of people who have lupus will have DSDNA antibodies. And it's a good marker. It's a good indicator because less than 1% of the healthy population will have that marker. So like pretty much if you have that, you have something going on, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's lupus necessarily. And that's what I found is that it's a really blurry picture right now. And kind of you, you gather all these little bits of information and the picture starts to get clearer, clearer and clearer. Um, And that's been one of the pieces of advice that, that I keep repeating with you too, is like, all you have to do right now is gather information. Yeah. But like whenever you've gotten stressed about stuff, I've been like, your only job right now is research. Um, And it's so hard. And we're going to get into that. We're definitely going to get into all of these feelings and the anxiety and everything. But (laughs) whenever Dana texts me like, oh my God, this is stressing me out. I just say, you have one job right now. Do your one job, which is just gathering information. And sometimes just stepping back and looking at the bigger picture in that way gives you a minute to take a breath. Yeah. And that is really good advice. Um, cause also during this whole time I'm feeling terrible, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and then they test for a couple other ones there. They call them anti Smith, uh, anti R O and L A. So they call them anti row, anti law. Hmm. Neither of those, um, showed up for me. Hmm. And then they also test, um, your blood serum complements. So uh, you have several. They test your C3 and your C4. So my C3 was normal but barely, and my C4 was low but barely. So I was like borderline on those. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are also, specifically the C4s, also... Um, uh, you know, a like lupus check mark is what I'm calling it. I don't even want to say an indicator. It's like in order to get a diagnosis, you have to like basically have enough check marks in a column, you know? Yeah. So um, this could also, and a lot of these numbers could also be indicating that you're catching whatever you're catching early. Yes, exactly. And so that's what my, um, what my primary care doctor said is he was like, look, here's the good news. You live a really healthy lifestyle. Um, and so probably a lot of this has been mitigated by the fact that you don't eat a lot of inflammatory foods. And, um, you know, they also tested what is your C reactive protein, which just shows that there's inflammation going on in your body. I mean, obviously I have this lymph node. I've nicknamed her Nora, Nora, the node. (laughs) 
That's right. That's my girl. <laughs> so like Nora's there. So obviously there's some inflammation uh, that I can see. A lot of times right. inflammation in your body, you can't see, right? But now I could feel it in my joints and I had Nora. So that's kind of how all that blood work came back. And that, you know, the, the, that's what that doctor said is like, you know, I might've mitigated a lot of this. We're probably catching it really early. None of this is like off the charts. It's definitely abnormal, but none of it is off the charts. Um, so meanwhile, I'm feeling terrible. I've never felt this bad in my life. Like I, my joints are aching. Um, I, and guys, like, I know I've heard people say with chronic illness and fatigue and, and pain that you can't describe it really until you've experienced it. And that's so true. I want to say like, I think I am a person who has a high pain tolerance and this pain is just so different. It's so pervasive. And for me, it feels like deep aching and pulsing in my in my joints. You also had, didn't you, you also described to me at one point that it felt like your skin was on fire too, right? Yeah. My skin was sensitive. Like yeah, I, if the um, fan was on, like even low in the room or the air conditioning was on and like cold, any kind of, but especially cold air was blowing on me. It was like, ugh, like it hurt my skin. Um, and uh, I was just so tired. And I, I like, I, I have to just say like, again, tired doesn't even really describe it. It's like, I would get up in the morning, like I have two dogs. I would, you know, walk the dogs, do maybe one thing like laundry or like load the dishwasher and have to sit down and like literally take a rest. And then maybe I could do one other thing, like sit at my computer and do something for work. And then I would be on my couch napping for the rest of the day. And it was, so it was really hard for me because I am such an active person that I was like, get over it, Dana. Like you're, you just have the flu or like get moving, go to the gym, like do this, do that. And also I would wake up feeling like, okay, today's going to be a good day. And then it would crash so fast. It was also like a mental game of just every day waking up being like, am I going to feel better today? Am I going to feel better today? Because when you have the flu, you know more or less like, okay, in three to seven days, I'm going to feel better. So like, I'm just going to suck it up for these couple days and like, it'll be fine. And this just felt like it was going on and on. And I didn't know if there was going to be an end in sight. And you also mentioned, um, one of the things we talked about, um, prepping for this interview was that you work from home Mm -hmm. and I'm, I, I'm wondering how much that structure either impaired or improved your ability to notice and, and control your symptoms because you're on your own schedule. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I know I, I, I think either we talked about this or I talked about it with somebody, but um, yeah, I think over the last few years there have, and again, it's nice when I, I have a partner and like, it's nice that he's able to give me feedback on like, yeah, you've seemed normal or, you know, you haven't seemed normal. And there have been periods of time where I have slept a lot more or napped longer. Um, and luckily because I work from home, I, it it doesn't, I guess it was harder to notice that that was an abnormal phase that I was going through just because if I needed to nap, I could, it wasn't like I had to take time off work or like I had only a lunch 
a lunch break within to nap. Like I could make my own schedule. So that was like probably made it a little more difficult to recognize what was going on with me. But at the same time, maybe it, you know, because I was able to just listen to my body and be like, I need to nap right now. And I would, maybe that helped, you know, my symptoms improve quicker. I, I don't know. So I think there's a plus and a minus there. I certainly know that when I was feeling really bad, um, and would I now would refer to as a flare, like when I was flaring really hard, I couldn't imagine having to work. I couldn't imagine having to be around people, having to get up, get dressed. Um, at one point I tried to go grocery shopping and I literally couldn't like he had to, my, my boyfriend had to drive us there. I, I just like held on to the shopping. I was insisted on going. I held on to the shopping cart and just like he did everything. And I just like followed around like a little toddler and then mm. crashed and burned for the rest of the day. Um, so yeah, that was rough. And then the other part that comes with it is this brain fog, this brain fog and this crushing depression that, you know, I, um, fortunately or unfortunately I have, you know, been through bouts of depression in my life. So I, I know how to recognize when it's happening. Um, and I just, you know, was bursting into tears for no reason. I was feeling really down. I was feeling, you know, all the classic, it's not exactly bursting into tears for no reason. No, I know. I, that's what I'm saying. It felt like at the time, yeah. you know, yeah. I was like, why am I crying? But I re- like, you it's know, like, cause my body's not cooperating is why I'm crying. Like it makes yeah. sense. Um, you know, I just thought I was having a sad day at first and then it mm. wouldn't pass. But this is also very common in these situations that, that patients are going to end up with some kind of circumstantial depression and or anxiety. Yeah. I certainly did too, because it's like when your body's suddenly not doing the things that you expect it to do on a regular basis and you can't even rely on yourself. Yeah. Of course you, yeah. you sort of start to spiral down. But I also think it was just yes to that, but also... I think it was part of the flare. Like, I think that it was like interesting. Yeah. Symptomatic almost. Um, and I say that only because I'm, you know, I'm, um, a month removed from that flare and, you know, depression doesn't just go away. No, <laughs> and it kind of did, you know, like it lifted and the brain fog, like the, I couldn't think, gosh, it was so hard to like, do things, anything to think about how to do anything, to pay bills, to like, and then at the same time, you know, I'm trying to have phone calls with doctors and research like blood things and what are all these tests mean? And it was, you know, hard. It's that's hard when you're feeling great. It was really hard when you're feeling, you know, so foggy and well, we did, we did try to make it fun in some ways, you know, that, that we started taking bets on, what diagnosis you'd get this week or that week, you know? So we did that. Yeah. We had to turn it into a bit of a game because Dana loves charts and Dana loves organization. And so being able to, as her friend, be able to provide that support of, okay, so let's make this a fun game. Um, I think it, it helped you be less afraid of what the news would be. Plus you also geek out on the science of all this stuff. So information, like you're a knowledge is power person. So, so gathering information, um, and like having, she's got a little notebook, but she's showing me right now. (laughs) My medical notebook. Yeah. But it's great. 
Yeah. And you can bring that with you to every appointment and it gives a doctor data from which to pull their diagnosis and information. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to write down like what I was eating. Um, and I'm just laughing because this day it was, uh, wake up, have a phone call, have a phone call, take a nap. Amazing. Well, because I was actually just going to ask you, what does a typical day look like for you when you're having a flare and when you're not having a flare? I mean, I don't totally know yet. Right. When I'm not having a flare, my typical day is like, wake up, I have a cup of coffee, I walk my dogs, I work for like three or four hours, I work from home, it's mostly at my computer, you know, I'll get, I'll eat a pretty big breakfast, I'm always really hungry in the morning. Um, And then I go to the gym, and I work out, I do, you know, something high intensity, usually Orange Theory, or boxing, or um, sometimes I do Pilates. I try to do yoga, but you know, guys, I, it's, it's not high intensity enough for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, oh, and oh my God, the message boards are going to blow up. People are going to be like, try getting from yoga. Do <laughs> She doesn't like Sorry, yoga guys. She's just not a yoga person. I'm just not. So, and then, you know, I'll like run errands in the afternoon, come home, maybe do like another hour or two of work. Honestly, the problem for me is shutting off at night, you know, like at five or six o'clock, I usually have to tell myself, stop working, stop bustling around and doing things, you know, and yeah. then I'll cook dinner. I love to cook. I'll cook dinner from like six to seven. We'll eat dinner, you know, watch TV show, like do whatever. And I'm, you know, in bed by 10, asleep by 11. That's like a normal day in the life of Dana. Mm. Um, uh, here's a day in the life of me. Wake up <laughs> when I'm sick. Wake up, walk the dogs, sit on the couch all day, nap 2 to 5 p.m. Mm. That was one of my days. So, you know, sometimes I had to do things like, you know, run errands or go to, you know, do something that I had already had planned. This was also over Thanksgiving that all of this was happening. Um, And so, you know, like, I don't know. I tried to do the best I can. But it's anywhere between, like, I think when I was feeling... When I was flaring, I think a normal day was like, wake up, and I knew I had max three hours until I started to crash. And so I would, I would, really, I would really have to pick what are the most important things that I have to get done today. And sometimes that was grocery shopping because you have to eat. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was something for work. And sometimes it was, um, you know, something I'll say like social, like that I had to like interact with other people, but I could really pick like one, maybe two things that I could get done a day. And by about noon, 11 or 12, I knew like that was going to be it. And then I just had to plan that I was going to be on the couch for the afternoon. And then maybe I could cook dinner, maybe not. So I did. And I have been utilizing um, like a meal service, like Sun Basket, that makes it really easy to cook. But sometimes even that was just not possible. And so, you know, luckily we live in a world where you can order Postmates and there's some really great healthy options. So um, I think that I, what I have learned is that when I am not feeling well and in a flare, the more stuff you can take off your plate, you know, uh, self-care, you know, to like take care of yourself, but it doesn't, you know, cost you energy, the better. So, 
you know, yes, maybe ordering food out more or batch cooking something that's like a slow cooker. So you can cook one day and eat for a couple days. Um, you know, and I had to just ask my, my partner to, to pick up the slack and he did, he cooked or he did laundry or, you know, whatever. And, you know, some days were better than other days. One thing that I found that helped me weirdly, like ibuprofen didn't touch the pain at all. And because this time, you know, this was the first time icing helped. And, um, weirdly we had these CBD gummies that we were trying actually for anxiety. Right. They can be, so you were trying them for anxiety. Interesting. Okay. But we had them in the house mm. and knew that that could maybe help with pain. And so that actually would just take the edge off the pain. Mm. Um, and so like taking that, as soon as I started to feel like I was crashing, that really helped. Um, yeah. I don't think that's odd at all. I think that's becoming more and more popular. And in fact, I use CBD because in terms of the pain that I experience now that my my symptoms are so much more under control. Mm-hmm. When I have pain, it's usually just period pain. Mm-hmm. So I'm very lucky that way because my diseases don't cause me a ton of pain in that, like that you've been experiencing, nothing similar to that. But um, when I have really bad period pain, I do CBD gummies and, you know, maybe like vape a little CBD and it helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you find the right combo of stuff, I think it's great. And I'd rather take that than ibuprofen, frankly. Yeah. Same. Um, yeah. Unfortunately we don't have a tub in our, in this apartment, which is a big bummer because I love to take baths. And, um, I did that a lot when I had that like four month long flu. Who has a four month long flu? You do. Now that I say it, I'm like, that is absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. You let yourself have a four month flu, but it was really the earlier stages of the whole process. Something. Yeah a lot of baths during that time. And it was really super helpful. So what other steps have you, have you started taking to, to take control of your health? So then my doctor, my primary care obviously wanted to refer me to a rheumatologist and just to throw a huge wrench in the works. And I'm sure we're going to just go off on this. I had to pick a new healthcare plan. Perfect. Because my next question was about healthcare. (laughs) Because remember I said I consider myself a healthy person. So I was just like on a healthcare plan that was like very basic. Um, And like, you know, I felt like still expensive. I'm I'm just going to overshare and say like, look, I was paying $240 a month. And I was like, I never go to the doctor. This is useless, you know? Um, And, but I quickly realized I had a very high deductible. And with all of these tests and everything, Oh man, like whammy on the wallet. And so I quickly realized that I needed a better healthcare plan. So um, the way that healthcare works is you have, uh, you know, you have to decide by December 15th. So all of this is happening in November. Um, rheumatologists are, I guess, really hard to get in with. Yeah. So my primary care doctor referred me to one in his little, um, like hospital network. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, but it was like a two or three week waiting period. So I had an appointment with that one. And then at the same time I started asking my network and I got a referral to another doctor who works at a different hospital. Um, and she is a DO. So, um, and And that's an osteopath for those who don't know. Yes. And so I, I had heard through a friend of a friend who sees her, uh, also a 35-year-old woman with lupus, 
that she had a more integrative approach. And so I really wanted to see her because I knew from talking to you, Lauren, and from Sasha, talking to Sasha and other friends that finding a functional or integrative practitioner is really helpful when you're dealing with something like this because there is a lot you can do that is not just medicating. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I wanted to pursue that. You know, I felt like I wanted to be in control of this story and a little bit, and I wanted to see like what I could, you know, what part I could do and, you know, whatever, what we could do. So, um, I, oh my God, I can't even really get into that, but that whole story, it was just so much work going back and forth, calling them. They wouldn't call me back, calling them. They wouldn't call me back pushing. Oh, she's not taking any new patients. Oh, okay. We'll squeeze you in. Oh, okay. We need a referral, you know, back and forth. What was, what was the piece of advice I gave you that got you an appointment right away? Oh, I can't remember. What's your cash rate? Oh yeah. So this is a huge one. Dana, Dana would text me every day and give me the updates. And one day I got a flood of texts. I can't get in to see a doctor. No one, like I'm sitting here feeling sick and feeling crappy and I can't get in to see anyone. And what am I supposed to do? And I was like, you call that doctor right back and you ask them what their cash rate is. Because sometimes um, these doctors um, may have a full schedule, but if you pay them cash, they'll be able to see you sooner or they'll make an effort to fit you into the book sooner. Yeah. So I did that and they still needed a referral from my primary. So I made two appointments and they happened to just be like five days apart. Hmm. Um, so meanwhile, we're ticking down to the December 15 yeah, deadline or maybe like December, like sixth and 11th or something were, were my appointments. Hmm. So I see the first doctor and she's in the same health network as my primary care. And, you know, I walk in and she has my whole chart. Uh, and actually it's not the rheumatologist. It's his, um, nurse practitioner. So she's like, look, um, you have lupus. It's probably early. Um, you know, nothing's like super, super elevated, but here's how we treat it. We treat it with this drug called Plaquenil. And I had done a lot of research on Plaquenil and, um, talked to my sister a bunch about it. And I, you know, I am very much of the mindset that, um, Western medicine is not the devil. I do not think Western medicine is the devil. I believe in science. Um, but I also think that it is a business. And so I am mindful that they look at me a little bit as a customer. And so I appreciate that the medication is there, but I don't like to take medication if I don't have to. And I, especially if there's not something that else that I can do. However, from what I had read and researched and talked to my sister's sister about with Plaquenil, it seemed like the benefits outweighed the risks. Um, the biggest risk with Plaquenil is that there can be a buildup in your retina um, and it can start to cause blindness. But Again, from what I've read, that it once if that if that happens and it's rare, it happens to one in five thousand people. It's trackable. Obviously, you see an ophthalmologist, and if it happens, then you can stop taking the medication, and it will the deposits will naturally like go away. Oh, that's great! So it is reversible. It's reversible. Thank you. That's mm. so. I felt like okay, that's fine. So she was like, "Look, we're going to start you on a low dose of this," and she actually gave me some great advice. She was like, "Look, don't let your life be." you know, uh, determined by having lupus. Like I was asking her, like, can I still work out? Like, can I do that? And she was like, yeah, if it feels good, do it. 
If it doesn't, don't. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, but I did feel uh, making her sound really great and she was fine, but like, I did feel a little bit like, you know, she just looked at my chart. She didn't examine me. She didn't ask me my medical history. She just kind of like opened the book and was like, you have lupus, closed it and was like, here's how we want to treat you. Um, so I was like, okay, so she called in some medication for me and then I didn't start taking it because I wanted to see the second doctor. So then we- Good for you. I would have done the same thing. So we actually came home early. We went on a three-day vacation. We came home early from it to see this other doctor, this DO. And <laughs> we walked in and long story short, they wouldn't let me see her that day because the first hospital or the first doctor, my primary care hadn't sent a referral over or they hadn't gotten it or something. Oh my God. And you'd come back early from a vacation for this. Yes. It was very frustrating. And I was like, look, I'm on a deadline. Like I need to make a decision about healthcare by Saturday, like Saturday. So they squeeze me in on a Thursday. And I, this is only important because I just want like you guys to know that like when you're deciding on healthcare, there's a lot to look at. And I, like Lauren said, I'm organized. I made a spreadsheet. I was looking at like eight different healthcare plans, like trying to figure out what the best one was. And unfortunately, one doctor was on one healthcare and one doctor was on the other. So my health insurance plan was going to kind of decide who I who I was going to see. So I was like, I'm going to see what doctor I resonate with. And that's how I'm going to pick which insurance I go in. So then I go to see this doctor and I will just say her resident comes in and spends easily 30 minutes with me asking me a million questions. Which is so unusual. So if you get a doctor who spends more than 15 minutes with you, because that's the standard visit time, then this is good. (laughs) Yeah. They've already squeezed me in, but they're not making me feel like, you know, they're rushing me. So she like comes in, she asks me a gajillion questions. um, And then she's like, okay, um, Dr. Chaya will be right in. So then she leaves and in breezes, beautiful, young, vibrant Dr. Chaya who, (laughs) and I just, and I love, and like immediately I just vibed, which I mean, may or may not, you know, be the best way to, to make a judgment on a doctor. But listen, I, I liked her is all I can say. I liked both. Mm. And she goes, so can I see that lymph node? And I was like, whoa, that's great. Nobody has asked to see the lymph node. Mm. Let's get Nora out. So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nora the node. Nora the node. So she like, what do they call it? Palpates it? Yeah. Know. Like she presses it. You know, touches a little. And she's like, look, um, you know, it's a little tender. It's not hard. You know, like basically like it doesn't look like cancer. And your, you know, your mammogram, everything also says that it's not cancer. But like, it's weird. And I was like, it is weird. Mm. <laughs> like, And you have some interesting blood work. That's what she said. And then her piece of advice for me, which I I found helpful at the time and I feel a little more frustrated with now, is she said, listen, um, with what I see with you, what's going on here, this can sometimes be very difficult to diagnose. And... um, You know, to get a clinical lupus diagnosis, you have to fit four of 11 criteria. Um, and I have them written down for you. So I will tell you what those are. She's getting out her notebook again, guys. She loves her notebook. I do. 11 signs uh, of lupus. So um, the malar rash, which I do not have. 
And I don't, other than my skin hurting, I haven't had uh, that or the discoid rash either. I haven't had any skin symptoms. Hmm. And I also don't think I've had photosensitivity. Um, I did notice that I would be more tired in the sun, but I I didn't feel comfortable saying that was a symptom. So that's three, malar, discoid rash, photosensitivity, oral ulcers. I haven't had any of those. Um, Number five is arthritis-like symptoms. So yes, I had those. Um, Saris, oh God, I'm going to say this word wrong. Saristisis. It's inflammation of your lungs or your heart. Hmm. So I guess there's really no way to know that I have that, but your symptoms, because they haven't, you know, done any scans, but your symptoms would be shortness of breath. Um, you know, like feeling like you can't take a breath, like having to take shallow breaths. And I haven't had any of that. Um, a kidney disorder. So having protein in your urine and they had tested my urine and my kidneys looked fine. So I didn't have that one. So that was seven. Um, neurological disorders depression, anxiety. I did feel like I had that. Um, but as you guys probably all know, that's one that's a little more, uh, quality, I guess. Like, yeah, well, I think a lot of people wouldn't consider it a neurological disorder. You know, that like, I think the way we think about neurological disorders in a traditional Western medical frame is, is more when it's something like Lyme, where you're having, um, muscle spasms that you can't control or something like MS where, you know, you can't control the movement of a limb or something like that. So, um, yeah, I can see why someone might not think that they had a neurological symptom when they just had depression and anxiety. Like it's, you know, although they list that on the lupus website, they say like Mm -hmm. depression and brain fog are listed under neurological disorders, which is great. So there you go. Um, so there so we here's go. your your two two of them so far. Two, that you get into. Far, yes. too far, too far, <laughs> too far, <laughs> so far. <laughs> uh, the next is nine is a blood disorder. So anemia uh, does fall in there, and yeah. I was anemic, although I'm currently not. But I've been taking iron, so I have since stopped um, because I want to see like where my blood kind of naturally is mm. uh, without the supplements. Um, and then immunologic. So that is all those blood tests that I told you about earlier with your ANAs and DS DNA, like all that. Mm -hmm. So yes, I have that. Um, and then also that your ANA is positive. That is one of them. So by my, like you're five, you've got five of them now. Right. So I felt like, okay, check, check, check. Um, but she was like, look, I want to run some more blood work. And she said, her piece of advice was don't get too attached to the name of your disease or sickness. Don't get too attached to having a diagnosis. Um, And she said, just because you don't have a clinical diagnosis doesn't mean that your symptoms aren't real. And I thought that was- That's very caring. Really profound. Um, and she was like, you know, whether or not you come back as a clinical, you know, like classic case of lupus or not, it might be early. It might not be lupus. It might be, you know, something else. I'm probably going to treat you the same way with this drug called Plaquenil. (laughs) It was like, I know all about Plaquenil. So she was like, okay, let's run some blood work. So it is worth noting by this time, I'm feeling like much better, like 80% better. Um, and that's largely because whatever flare you were having had probably subsided. Yes. And I hadn't taken any medication. It just had naturally subsided or run its course, I guess, Mm. or whatever. And so the last blood work that I'd had was right in the middle of the flare. She wanted to run some new blood work. 
So she runs new blood work. I am like, I like her. I picked the medical plan to go with her. And then it's the holidays and I'm leaving and blah, blah, blah. And my blood tests are trickling in online and I'm looking at them. I'm like, now I'm pretty much a professional, you know, <laughs> you can professionally work. read them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this is weird. Everything's normal. Everything mm-hmm. is back to normal except my rheumatoid factor is still high. And so this is when the pendulum swung back the other way to RA again. So, and you know, I just want to say I experienced, I panicked. I was really freaked out. I text you. I text a lot of people. I was like, oh my God, oh, my blood work is normal. This isn't normal. I had like latched on to the idea and still have latched on to the idea of having a diagnosis of having lupus. I was well, like, oh yeah. And let me pause you really quickly to say, cause this has come up in, in previous interviews that having a diagnosis, having a word that you can put on the symptoms that you're having is incredibly empowering and freeing. And you're having the opposite experience, which is that a doctor has said to you and warned you, you know, kind of like, hey, um, don't get too attached to this diagnosis. And it's very kind that she said, you know, your symptoms are real, but it would probably make your life and your, your mental state a lot smoother if you were able to say, I have insert disease here. Yeah. And part of that is for yourself, but part of it is also when you're telling other people, because that's something I want to talk about as well, because you said you were going home for the holidays. Yes. So here we are in a situation with, with family and close family friends where you're going to people going, I think I'm sick. I'm not sure if I'm sick, but did people believe you? So, yeah. So I will also say that with me around being sick, um, and, you know, like all love to my family, they joke that I am very dramatic and I am, I, you know, I'm an actor. I, <laughs> and I tend to be very animated about things. Um, but I have this fear that, you know, people will think I'm faking it, that I will fake being sick, you know, like all kids, like we faked being sick when we were little, right. To get out of like, whatever. Yeah. I just like still have this fear that people will think that I'm faking it. And so, you know, when I, first got sick. And I think that people mean well, but you know, I would say, Hey, like, this is how I'm feeling. And like they ran blood work and it's showing that I potentially have something like, uh, you know, I, I have an autoimmune disease and people would immediately be like, well, it's probably not that. Um, it's probably, have you thought about allergies? Do you think that it could be maybe your and and they mean well. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's just to me, it's so comic that that yeah. people are like, "Oh, I've got better ideas than the medical establishment." <laughs> you know, and like even you know, uh, even like my family that are in the medical field. You know, like the the first thing, and I don't know if anybody else has this same feeling, but you know, when my ANA came back positive, um, and actually this is true. of the population has a positive ANA and they're totally healthy. I think that statistic is right, but there's a certain percent. So, you know, the first thing that everybody said was, don't worry, it's probably not that. And I think that's really interesting because actually it's not that 70% of the population has a positive ANA and is healthy. It's the minority, 30%. So I felt personally, like when people would tell me that, that they were, you know, kind of discounting how I was feeling and also discounting how scary it is 
to be like, okay, well, 70% chance that you do have something and 30% chance that you don't, you probably don't. You probably don't. It's probably this. Is it Lyme? <laughs> and well, and this, can be, this can be a very condescending um, experience that like, you know, when loved ones are like, well, it's not the thing you're telling me it is. So it's already, they're reinforcing your belief that, that someone's going to think you're faking it. Yeah. And, and so then as things started coming in and it was like, yes, this is positive. And I also think, you know, to, if you are a loved one of somebody who, you know, is, has, is going through this process, you know, I think it's part of the acceptance process is like, you don't want your loved one to be sick. So like, you know, and specifically I found when I, um, you know, would tell people, well, let me just say, you don't want your loved one to be sick. So I think that it's normal to be like, you know, it's probably not that, like, you don't want them to worry or you, you know, you say like, could it be something else? Like, what about this? Have they tested for that? And, you know, at a certain point I had to say to my family, like, it is an autoimmune disease. A hundred percent it is, you know? And like now we're figuring out which one. And they had to go through their own process of accepting that just like I did. And then, you know, when lupus pinged um, and, you know, when I would share with people, I might have lupus or like for a period of time there, I was like, I, I have a lupus diagnosis because I do from one doctor and from another doctor, I have a, I don't know, diagnosis, like a, could be rheumatoid, could be lupus, could be another um, inflammatory arthritis. And so people don't know about a lot about lupus. They were like, is that contagious? Is it something that you can cure? Um, oh, wow. How do you get that? Is, um, is it something that you did to get it? Or is it like, there was just a lot, like people are just curious, like they don't know. And I was, I have to be honest, I didn't know before that. Um, but considering how common it is and, you know, I like was on the lupus foundation website and, you know, now I've been on like all the subreddits and all the like, you know, reading all the different people. It's so very common. And that's, I think why this podcast really spoke to me because it isn't something that people talk about, you know, like it's not something that people share. Um, and it's not contagious. <laughs> well, and that's interesting that like the line of questioning was about fault. Like, you know, that the line of questioning was, is it contagious? Like, can I get it from you? Um, and also, did you do something to get it? Like, it's very interesting that like with the lack of understanding or knowledge also comes the question of, is it your fault? Like, did you do this to yourself? Which no one would ever ask about cancer. Right. Although maybe they would in certain situations, you know, or um, various other disorders. So it's very interesting that, that that came up. I think it's because, and I don't know, but I think it's because when you say my, well, what is an autoimmune? Oh, well, my immune system is attacking my body. I think people immediately hear that and think AIDS. <laughs> like, you know, they think sure. they're and And that, you know at a time like that, you know, people were, you know, there were behaviors that they were doing using and, you know, whatever that was increasing the risk for getting HIV, you know, um, this is not a disease like that. So, um, so yeah, so I guess that's kind of where we are. And I guess, uh, yeah, so I went into the holidays and, um, you know, my immediate family was like, is it okay if we tell people, and I have always been the type of person that I don't feel like I can live honestly, in the world with like secrets uh, about like, I just don't feel the need to like 
hide things about myself. So well, I, I think that's where hashtag oversharing has resonated yeah, I just, with you and I very clearly. I don't care. Like, if mm. people know, I mean, I guess maybe people will look at me differently, but I hope not. And I hope not my family. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was interesting because it was a lot of like, um, you know, initially like, Oh, like, are we going to be able to do these things? Because like, is Dana going to be feeling okay? And like, you know, that doesn't feel great. Cause like, you don't want to be the one holding people back. And luckily I was feeling great over the holidays. So everything was fine. Um, mm. but yeah, it was, it wasn't easy to go home and see a bunch of people who love you and not have answers for them yet, you know, to not even be able to say, this is what I have, or this is how we fix it. Or, you know, this is what I'm dealing with because it's been so new. And Mm -hmm. so I guess kind of where I am, like, I don't, I don't know what my diagnosis is and I don't know, um, really what the next steps are. I was equating this the other day to, to a friend of mine, I was like, you know, it's like I was in a really bad car accident and I'm scared to drive again, but I'm, I'm going to drive because I need to get places and live my life, but I'm just a great metaphor. I'm a nervous driver. Right. And so, you know, that's understandable. Now on top of that, it's like, okay, you were in an accident. Of course, you're going to be a little bit of a nervous driver. Um, just, you know, but start driving again and go around, but just so you know, you are going to get in another really bad accident again. We just don't know when it's going to happen or where, like imagine the anxiety of driving around just being like, am I going to get in an accident today? Am I, am I, and that's a little bit how I feel right now. It's just like, am I going to feel sick tomorrow? Am I going to feel great tomorrow? And that I treat it because do I know what I'm even treating? <laughs> do I even know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. It's, um, it's, it's hard to live in that space, but I've also found that gratitude has been transformative in that way because every day I wake up and, you know, I do this little five minute journal and I'm like, I am grateful for my health today. Mm. Today I feel great. I, and even, you know, if I don't feel great later this afternoon, I'm grateful that I feel good right now. Mm. And I think that has been the hugest shift for me with this. Um, you know, as an actress, as a female of a, you know, just female full stop, of course I have, I would say flirted with eating disorders, had a distorted body image, you know, felt a certain way about my body kind of have been at war with my body my whole life. And I will tell you what, this flipped a switch for me. I stopped hating my body. I was like, Thank you for everything that you have given me. I appreciate you. I'm going to take care of you the very best that I can. And that so that's, that's like the biggest win you've had. The biggest gift. That is the biggest yeah. silver lining is like, I've really stopped. I mean, it's not a full stop. It's, you know, hard, but especially at the holidays when woo, you're drinking and eating and ugh. but yeah. I feel like. I have come such a long way in such a short time in accepting my body and really loving it and being so grateful for it and saying like, thank you for everything that you, you know, you do for me every day. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think that's gorgeous. And I know that you, you were already incorporating a gratitude practice before all of this really kicked off. So it's great that you've been able to continue that practice as things have continued, you know, in the health department. So, um, I feel like we've covered so much and I think what I, I really would like to tie this particular episode up with, 
and keep bearing in mind for everyone who's listening that like, this is the first in a series of interviews with Dana. Dana has agreed to come on again as she gets more information and talk more about her experience. So I think it's going to be really valuable for those of you who are in the same boat and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and also for those of you who are just interested in like how the healthcare system is working for you and things like that. So, um, you know, I like my top three lists. Oh, I love the top three. Okay. Yes. So what you've already given a few tips and you may want to repeat them or give other tips, but what would your top three tips be for someone who suspects they may have something off and may be heading toward a life with invisible chronic illness? <sighs> okay. Um, I know before you mentioned like the notebook and the word doc and stuff yeah, like that. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. So I would say, uh, number one, write it down because you think in the moment that you're like, I will never forget feeling this way. And I do like I, Lauren has reminded me of a lot of things that I texted her or said during that month that I was flaring that honestly, I forgot because you have brain fog or you're in pain or whatever. You just forget normal memory, you know, you drop life, life happens. So I would definitely say, write it down. I got this advice very early on and I will just echo it. I think you guys say it a lot. Find a doctor that you like that listens to you. And don't be afraid to be like, I don't like you. I'm finding a different doctor. Um, or even, I mean, you you mentioned to me yesterday that you were having an experience where one of your doctors was like, well, we're gonna, yeah. we're not going to redo this blood test. And you were like, uh-uh. We're yeah, I was going to say, test. part B is like, find a doctor who will listen to you, but also don't make them God. Like, your doctor, you know, yes, they went to a lot of school. Yes, they paid a lot of money for that degree. Yes, they know a lot, but nobody knows more about your body than you do. So you are the boss of what happens to your body. You're the boss of the medicines you take. You're the boss of the tests that you want run. And you're the boss of like what you do and don't do with your body in every way. Yes. Um, yes. Thank you. Yes. But so I would say like find a doctor, but they're just part of your team. Like you are the the president, you are the CEO and like you fill your cabinet with your people. Um, and like, you know, people left Obama's cabinet, he put people in there and then he was like, you know, this isn't working out and they left. And so it's okay to shuffle people around. Like you're not, you might not have your perfect cabinet and you know, as soon as you're elected here into the, <laughs> the autoimmune community yeah, or the, the chronic illness club. <laughs> Try to tell myself that on my own advice. Yeah. Um, and like, I think my third thing, my third tip would be, what did I say so far? I said, write it down, find, find a, a doctor who listens and, and don't be afraid to create your team the way you want it. Yeah. And, and on that team, like your support team, like find your Lauren, find your, you know, find your community, find your people. Hmm. And then, you know, figure out what makes you feel good. Um, and, and write that shit down. Like, <laughs> so here's another thing that I did. And I know this from years of therapy, just like with feeling anxious and depressed when you're having a strong emotion or a feeling or a symptom, let's just say in the moment, sometimes it is difficult to know what to do because you are overwhelmed with that feeling. And pain is one of those feelings. Mm -hmm. So something that my therapist had told me to do, which was, you know, to write down like stuff when I'm feeling, you know, write myself a letter when I'm feeling sad to let myself know that I don't always feel sad and that it will get better. 
I did that for myself when I'm sick because when I was sick, I felt like I would never be better. And now that I'm better, I kind of feel like, was that real? And like, did I imagine it all? And is it going to happen again? It was real. It was real. You didn't imagine it just to reinforce that uh, you're okay. (laughs) But it will be really helpful to read something from myself that says, Dana, this is hard. And like, I know you're not feeling good, but I promise that you will feel better. I, this will pass. And you know, like here's some things to do that make you feel better, you know? And all the things that I kind of said earlier about like, you know, order out more, get more, uh, you know, food service, um, you know, take more naps. Um, binge. Oh, I've also started like a list of TV shows that I want to binge watch when, you know, when, and if I flare again, like, yeah, I have a list of things. So then it feels like a treat. I'm like, Ooh, I get to go to my TV list. Cause I don't watch a lot of TV normally, but like, mm. this will feel like a little treat for me. Yeah. Um, the other things that I like too, you know, whatever, take a bath, like uh, snuggle my dogs, like all the things. Well, that's, this sort of leads me on to the next question, which is like, um, what are your top three favorite comfort activities when you have a flare up or like guilty pleasures or secret indulgences, you know, and obviously, you know, you've just mentioned a bunch of them, like <laughs> things that make you happy. <laughs> but I, you mean, I don't really know necessarily like that. They're like, when I have a flare, they're just like, you know, again, here's a therapy, but like self care things that I've learned about myself, things I like to do. Mm. You know, I love to take a good nap. Like it makes me really happy, especially when I'm snugged up with my dogs and they're like little warm nuggets. Just <laughs> And they're French bulldogs, so they snore really loud. Um, <laughs> so you, you'll always know they're there, is the point. And, but they, they, when they snore, they kind of, like, buzz. They, like, hum. So it's like <laughs> a little, like, massage at the same time. Oh, lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, you know, I know that I love that. Um, I know that I love to, you know, watch a great movie or a TV show. Like, something that I can, like, really, like, binge through is is also – really fun for me. I like to color. I like to do puzzles. Um, and these are like, again, all things that I have learned about myself, but I mean, all the things like I love to take a bath. I love to get a massage, but like, if I'm really flaring, I don't think that I'm going to want to like leave my house to go get a massage. Sure. You know? Um, but yeah, so like, I, I think I just say that to everyone, make a self-care list, like make a list of things that you like to do, read a book, you know, cook, whatever. Um, those are good to do all the time, but extra, extra, especially when you're not feeling good. And it's great to have like a physical list that like yes. when you're feeling out of control, yes. you can actually look at this thing in front of you that gives you a list of things that you can do that will make you feel good. Because I think it's very easy to get lost in the fog of like 100%. overwhelm. You know, and it gives you something outside yourself to get out of the overwhelm. That's what I'm saying is like, you think you're like, I'll remember that when I'm not feeling good. But you you know, whether it's brain fog or pain or whatever, you just don't have the bandwidth for it. You won't. And there's something really powerful about having it written down. There's also something powerful about knowing that you wrote that list. You know that those things make you feel good. So like there is some power in that, you know, that you're like, okay, I wrote this. So I know that I like to do these things and that these things will make me feel better. You know, I think that's gorgeous. And I don't think we've had advice quite that specific um, on the pod yet. So I, I really hope that people do that. I, I've never made a self-care list for myself, but I'm like, Oh, I know what I'm doing later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Friday night. I know. 
Because, guys, I'm interviewing Dana on a Friday, so it's like, what am I going to do with my Friday night? Make my self-care list. Probably have a bath, because that's going to be on the list, you know? Light some candles, give myself some romance. (laughs) I love it. Well, Dana, this has been so informative. Um, and I can't thank you enough for sharing this first part of your journey with us. And I, I really hope that listeners will um, know they're not alone in trying to figure shit out. Um, that's the biggest thing because, you know, for us, this is a community that we're creating, but it's also about finding that community, which you've talked about, you know, um, seeking resources, um, credible ones um, as you're researching as you're gathering information. So thank you for sharing that so honestly with us today. Um, and like, I'm really proud of you for doing it too. <laughs> for having me. This has been great. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, coming back and sharing the rest of this story. And like, thank you guys for listening and, you know, kind of letting me process this way because this is helpful for me. I am the kind of person who processes through, you know, what's going on with me by talking about it and by sharing and oversharing. So there you go. And, you know, I guess last thing, just like, I'm no different. I'm still me. I'm still Dana. So, you know, if you find out that somebody, you know, you know, has an autoimmune disease, like, yes, you know, have compassion and like, that's a big life change, but also like, they're still themselves. Like you're still Lauren and I'm still Dana And a big thing that I've been working on is like that first doctor said, not letting this define who I am or my life. It's just a small part of my story. Mm. You know, like in Japan, I think it is, where they they fix broken like cups and saucers with gold. So I'm like kind of like ready to get a gold crack tattoo. (laughs) Yeah. That's a, it's a lovely idea. I actually think about that a lot. And I, I think I was thinking about doing like an Instagram post about it actually for the podcast. So it's interesting you bring it up because I think it's so applicable Mm -hmm. to those of us who are dealing with chronic invisible illness, because it's almost a touchstone because it it gives us something even more beautiful that's visible. Um, and it's like that you're not broken, that we're piecing you back together. So, and it's a part of your story, but it's not your whole being, you know, like it is a part of you, but you're still you. You know, and that no matter what it is, we have to seek the good in it and seek the beauty in it. Absolutely. Well, Dana, I love you so much. Thank you so much. Can't wait to have you back on the show. I know I'm going to be talking to you plenty in between. Um, And if, again, if anyone is looking for Dana and she's probably going to be sharing um, parts of her journey to health um, on her Instagram in particular, check out at live free with D, just the letter D, live free with parentheses to the letter D because <laughs> um, a lot of us just call her D. Yep. Um, so Dana, thanks so much. Um, and we look forward to the next installment. Thank you for doing this, Lauren. This has been so tremendously helpful for me. Ah, so glad. So glad that it's helping you. All right. I love you. Love you. That's it folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. 